Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's happening? Welcome to episode 25 of Manufacturing Happy Hour. Today, we're going to be continuing with our marketing-focused episodes, specifically content marketing for a technical audience. Today, we're joined by Wendy Covey, who is the founder of True Marketing. That's T-R-E-W. You can find them at truemarketing.com. And she's also the host of a podcast called Content Marketing Engineered and a book by the same name. I'm going to get you reintroduced to Wendy here in just a second. But first, I want to give you the three things that you can expect from today's show. First, we're going to learn about Wendy's story. We're going to talk about mistakes that she has seen in the marketing world for years and how that prompted her to start True Marketing. We'll get the story behind that before we dive into our second topic, which is discussing the type of content tech buyers are looking for. This includes a conversation as to why different content is needed at different stages of the sales cycle, and she'll also share some stories of things that have worked for her clients in the past. Finally, we'll talk about how to make technical content cool and interesting while still being informative. This includes who should be involved in the content creation process, why storytelling is important, and then finally, we'll walk through the steps that companies should take to enhance their technical content. If you'd like to access any of the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can do that by heading over to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 25. There you can also connect with Wendy on LinkedIn, as well as learning about her new digital course, Content Writing Engineered, which was built for writers targeting a technical audience. Again, that's at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 25. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes, where it's easy to leave that five-star rating, just a simple click of the button, and leaving a review does not need to be any harder than that either. It can be as short as one to two sentences, and that feedback really helps us improve the show as well as getting the show on the map so that more manufacturing leaders can check this out. All right, that's enough for an intro today. Let's dive into our conversation with Wendy, where we're going to kick things off with a quick discussion around beverages and drinking in her home state of Texas. Let's go. Party time. Well, I guess, Wendy, the first thing I have to ask is, since this is an afternoon recording, what is the beverage that you have in front of you today? Well, I have what's known in Austin, Texas as a Mexican martini. And if, if you haven't heard of that before, uh, it's Tex-Mex restaurants are really popular here. And so it's mm-hmm. sort of an infusion of a martini and a margarita. So imagine a, a margarita on the rocks with some olive juice. It's wonderful. And oh. I throw in some jalapenos too. Yes, jalapeno is a clutch addition, in my opinion, to margaritas in general. I don't know how how what does the olive juice add to it? I'm curious. Like, what kind of sensation do you get with that in there? Because that's an interesting combo. Yeah, it kind of tampers the sweet a little bit. Okay. I guess I don't know. I like it. 
I mean, we, because I lived in Houston for four years before I moved out here to California, and Tex-Mex was definitely a staple there as well. I'm trying, the, the I guess the margarita hack that I learned while I was there was adding like a dash of orange juice to it as well, which adds some interesting citrus flavor to it. But uh, um, I, 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 was, I was thinking of doing my trick where it's like, oh, I'll just drink orange juice that looks like a juicy IPA today, because I've got a long evening of work ahead of me, but I didn't want to disappoint because I had one of my buddies that just sent me a lot of uh, beer from Austin, actually, from spots like Hops and Grain Brewing and uh, um, St. Elmo Street Brewing. I don't know if any of these yeah, names jump out at you. Absolutely. But what great timing. Yeah, no, it was perfect. So even though I'm not drinking those at the immediate moment, I have been enjoying those periodically over the past week leading up to this conversation. Excellent. But before we get too far, I want to make sure I give you a proper introduction. So for our listeners today, our guest is a technical marketing maven. She is the CEO and founder of True Marketing, an agency that educates middle market engineering companies on technical buyer behavior and how to utilize inbound marketing and sales methodologies to generate more demand. She is also the creator of Content Marketing Engineered, a podcast, book, and now a digital training course focused on building trust and converting technical buyers with compelling content. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Wendy Covey. It's great to have you here. I am so excited to be here. Thank you. Well, as we always want to start manufacturing happy hour on a very happy hour centric topic, we already did that with the drinks, quite frankly. But, you know, since I was just on your podcast not too long ago, I'll set up a scenario that we ended your show with. We were talking about uh, uh, a beer bar in Austin called um, Craft Pride. Great spot on Rainy Street, not too far from 6th. And I always like to ask a question as if we're, we're hanging out at the bar. So let's say we're grabbing a drink on the patio at Craft Pride. And someone comes up to you and they're like, you know, Wendy, I hear all about, you know, marketing to decision makers and to the financial buyer and to the C-suite. But, you know, where does where does technical marketing play into this? What what influences the technical buyer have? How do you answer that if you're kicking it with someone at a bar? Yeah, because every company wants to jump straight to that executive, that decision maker, right? Exactly. Uh, why why waste time with the other people? <laughs> Always seems to be the default. Yeah, yeah. Well, my answer to that is is first you need to look at who your specifier is. Who is that person that's going to find you first, get excited about the solution that you offer, and look to bring you into the company and champion your solution? And that is generally that engineer that's in the weeds working on something. And and then later on, you move up to the C-suite, you move over to procurement. There's perhaps a buying team that you need to influence, but it all really does usually start with that engineer specifier. Yeah. And that's as, as someone that is a salesperson as, as my day job. I mean, that's what we've seen, especially building over the past, um, I should say, maybe half decade. At least I've seen that as the bigger trend where when I started, it was all about, hey, try to get to the C-suite right out of the gate, which always isn't possible. But as you know, these decision making processes seem to be very democratized across a champion, like you said, oftentimes a technical buyer and a financial buyer and a C-suite. You know, there's got to be that individual that's going to vouch for you to get you further into that company. Um, you know, I have I, I want to dive into this more because I know this is your area of expertise, but we always like getting to know our guests a little bit, too. And you have a very interesting background. You studied marketing and journalism at Texas A&M, and then you spent... Whoop 
over a decade. Yep, I am very familiar with the Aggie Whoop. As I had to I had to sneak that in there. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think you're the second Aggie that I've interviewed on this show. Actually, the other one was probably like 20 episodes ago, but. I think he snuck in a whoop as well oh, nice. during that interview. Nice. So, yeah, it's uh, uh, you, you guys are a prideful bunch from what yeah. I gathered during my time <laughs> in Houston. Um, but anyway, so sales and marketing or uh, marketing and journalism, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. at Texas A&M and then mm -hmm. a decade plus at Texas Instruments. I'm always curious about someone's entrepreneurial journey. Um, I'm sorry, was it at National Instruments? National I Instruments. Yes, yeah, caught myself it, on that one. It's okay. Some people think National Semiconductor, Texas mm -hmm. Instruments. I've heard it all. So <laughs> well, it's hard when you're interviewing someone who's from Texas because that name just rolls right it off the does. tongue down there. It so. does. Interestingly um, enough, they've rebranded to just NI and dropped the name oh. National Instruments just a few months ago. No way. I saw the logo change. I didn't realize uh -huh. they were just going by NI now. That is yeah. that is bold to take the two initial standpoints. So. Right. Oh, this is, I've enjoyed the lead up to this question quite a bit because we've gotten on two different great conversation tracks <laughs> on the way there. Well, um, okay, what, what's your question? Where I'm going with this question is, you know, what made, what got you to take the leap to start True Marketing? Was it, is there a specific instant or was it a buildup process? What's the story there? Really good question. So some of it is professional and some is personal. So uh, as you say, it was at National Instruments uh, for a decade, a little over a decade, uh, held different roles in marketing leadership, some on the event side and some in um, product marketing over software services. And um, at the time, I got married to this wonderful person that lived out in the country, out, not countryside, um, outside mm -hmm. of Austin, and so I was really inspired by that and in looking to make a move to a, a, you know, more rural community. So that was part of it. And then at the same time, I was having a lot of workout and happy hour discussions with a colleague of mine named Rebecca Geyer. And um, she was looking for new challenges. And we both saw this need amongst really the NI partners who were, you know, 30 to 80 person companies that had horrific websites, didn't understand marketing, and they really needed help. And there wasn't, mm -hmm. um, you know, anyone out there focused on our industry and what they do. And so we saw this market need and had some maybe personal inspiration that led to us leaving and starting the agency. I was going to say, because you're, it was founded in the late 2000s, correct? Yeah, 2008. It was wonderful timing about six months before what is now called the Great Recession, which mm -hmm. is sort of funny to call it that in, in today's view right, lens right. with, with we COVID expect, and everything. We didn't expect another recession this quickly. Let's right, put it that way. Right. <laughs> of this but, scale, I should say. <laughs> So yeah, so that happened right off the bat, and um, and it was fortunate for us that it did because at the time, honestly, we were taking whatever business would come our way. We were a full service marketing firm that would do pretty much anything for everybody, and um, and so when that hit, we said, okay, it's time to be more proactive. Who are the next five customers we want to work with? Who are we best suited to work with? And both of us had spent our whole careers marketing to engineers. We knew the trade shows, we knew the publications, we knew how to write for this audience. And so we decided to narrow our focus. And as soon as we did, our business took off. So it was the best decision we could have made. 
Well, I was just out of curiosity, because I think that's a great strategy, narrowing that focus. You knew a specific mm-hmm. niche. Why five? Was there a reason you picked that number? Or uh, Probably that was the number of clients we needed to stay afloat and okay. great. <laughs> pay no, our great. measly salaries <laughs> at the time, I, I think. <laughs> great. Re- uh, you know what? The practicality of that makes perfect sense. Yeah, need to pay the um, bills, but food on the table. <laughs> Well, as, as you were going through that in your transition, you know, you mentioned you were seeing your clients were in need of it. The mm-hmm. websites stick out specifically. And, and I think we still see those challenges today. Um, and, that, and that gets me thinking about another topic is what's one of the most common technical marketing mistakes that you see companies make or maybe just a marketing mistake in general? Yeah, well, we see a lot of them. So um, <laughs> we see a lot of terrible websites and a lot of terrible content. And it stems from, uh, I guess, two viewpoints. The first one is our solution is so amazing that it'll sell itself. I'll mm-hmm. just throw the specs up there or talk about it in great technical detail and people will just find it and they'll just buy it. It, it speaks for itself. Well, that's that's very naive right, <laughs> and grandiose right. thinking. Um, yes. Yeah. And then the second mistake is just give us names and the salespeople will make it happen. Like all we need is sales. And, um, you know, that thinking I think is about retired, but you still see, I still see probably one in five people that come to my door at True Marketing and want to hire us have these horrible websites, like I said, that are maybe 20 years old. And so there's still this attitude that, oh, you know, technical buyers will look past a terrible website. They'll look past our old content um, because somehow they're just going to know that we're wonderful and want to talk to sales. So that brings me to my next question. What type of content are the technical buyers looking for? How do you make sure it's relevant for the right place, right time? Yeah, great question. So they want to hear most from technical people within a company, Um, more so than industry analysts, more so than industry publication editors. All of our studies show that's who they want to hear from. But you need to plan your content along the buyer's journey. You don't need to, you know, vomit everything at once. And so really think about what's that first piece of content your target persona needs to hear when they come in. And then where do we take them from there? And when is it appropriate to offer maybe a piece of content that's meaty and it, there's a form in front of it? And, and they're, they, we've built enough trust now that they're going to be inspired to give us their name, fill out that form. And then from there, how do we take it further for sales? You know, what types of content do we need to not only get to the table, but, but get preference amongst those buyers? I'd love to get into a little detail here because I think it sounds like the most important piece is you got to get one piece of content that hooks someone in initially. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an example of what that initial piece of content might look like? Yeah. So there there are two ways to do it. So one is that taking something that's very current, right? That's a pain point of that persona that Mm -hmm. you uniquely can solve or have a viewpoint on and that no one else is talking about with that same viewpoint. So that's an excellent way to grab someone. And in that type of piece, maybe it's a webinar, white paper, ebook, package, something like that. Um, that's a piece that can form, perform very well um, with paid placements as well as on your website. The other way to go to go about it, though, is to look at a theme. So what, look at that. So I'll give you an example. Um, in manufacturing, you know, cybersecurity is an issue. So you have all these IIoT devices. And then how do we make sure someone's not hacking in? And, you know, how do we make sure this is a secure environment? 
And so hot topic, right? And so mm -hmm. if you're a company that offers a solution and within that topic, you can brainstorm, okay, what are all the things we can talk about related to that? And um, then you can start to package blog posts and white papers and case studies and all these different content assets around that theme. And then publish that on your website in one long scrolling page, which is called a pillar page in some circles. And so what you're doing is demonstrating your expertise in that subject, and you're helping that buyer find a whole bunch of different information, regardless of where they are along the buyer's journey in one place. And then by the way, Google loves it too, because mm. now you're showing to Google, hey, we're experts in this subject. Look at all these different pieces of content that are linked together on your site. So there's, are you, is it correct to say there's that SEO element to it then because you've created this big piece of content that ultimately shows that you're the authority on this topic in a lot of ways. Is that the right way to look at it? That is absolutely the right way to look at it. And it's, and it's, and it's done in an authentic way, right? You're not like, mm -hmm. okay, how do I game Google first? It's how do I serve that buyer first? And oh, by the way, I can collect those content assets in such a way that will perform well with Google. Great point of clarity, because I always get worried and maybe maybe I haven't put enough emphasis on SEO on my own own end yet. But I feel like some people default to some of these specific tactics or buzzwords first before looking at a more overarching strategy. Yeah, sure. And the other thing I love about that is one, I feel like one of your answers was very thorough, that piece of pillar content. The other, you know, look at what's a pain point at that point and create something that addresses that as well. So I love that there are different approaches to take around this. Um, you know, what's, so that's how you get someone in the door a little mm -hmm. bit. What do you, what's like a, an example of like a late stage piece of content? Cause I love thinking about that there are ways to engage throughout the buyer's journey. So what's something look like when they're exploring the company a little bit further that they might engage with? Yeah. So, um, so depending if it's a product that can be demoed, obviously demo videos, how to videos, in-depth case studies. Um, if you're now at a point where you're talking to the executive team, then business proof points are important there. So how are you saving time and money? How are you making their job less painful? Uh, so it broadens from technical uh, information to business impact. And is there... What is the, what's the way that you might typically package those? I imagine it could be a menu of options, whether that's a blog post, white paper, ebook. I mean, are there ones that you see that are most common or most effective? You know, it's it's funny. We ask this question every year. We we conduct an annual research study on how engineers seek and consume information to make purchase decisions. And when we ask content form factor, the engineers that respond, they love all of it. And so yeah. what I've taken away from that is you package it in the way that serves that piece of content best. And so for instance, if sales is going to be delivering this piece of content, they may want it in PowerPoint, or they may appreciate that demo video because they can't get their hands on that hardware out in the field. So really um, default to, you know, again, what fits the, the piece best. And then also whether or not you plan to, to gate this piece, whether or not you plan on making it a lead generating thing with a form in front of it. And if mm -hmm. you do, it better be meaty and incomprehensive. Right. Um, you know, you need to put some teeth behind it because if you ask for that name and you make it sound great and it's a flimsy piece of content, you've now lost trust and mm -hmm. detracted that potential new customer. The word that just popped into my mind was content integrity. Like you mm -hmm. want to make sure you're pitching it the way you, you want to sell, you, you want to describe it for what it is, not 
overselling, underselling what that free piece of content is. Because otherwise, I can imagine someone's going to unsubscribe from that mailing list very quickly. Real quick. Real quick. <laughs> and you've given us some great tactics, great stories so far. Can you package this into, you know, maybe one of the more successful marketing campaigns you've been a part of, and maybe campaigns, the wrong word, but something that you've seen from your time in the field that has worked really well, where you have that great initial piece of content that, you know, and then working through to the rest of that buyer's journey with more value added content that's fit from there. Yeah, sure. So we've worked at this point and, you know, true marketing, we've been in business 12 years. So we've worked with hundreds of companies now in manufacturing and each one has a very unique story. So um, a few stand out and, you know, I'll tell one that's very simple because I think if, if someone listening is just starting out, they may have trouble wrapping their heads around it. And um, we started first started working with this company called WTI 10 years ago. Um, Weinman Technology um, was their former name. They've now shortened just like NI to WTI. And in Weinman's case, they were... Um, they they wanted to hold on to trade shows. They wanted to hold on to Google AdWords. They were spending a heck of a lot of money at Google AdWords at the time and, and not really understanding the power of content marketing. And so um, we did a simple test and, and we talked to sales and we said, tell me about some presentations you've done recently. And one um, in this company, by the way, they do system integration in the test and measurement market. And um, they had this presentation that was an evergreen topic on introduction to dynamometers. So dynamometer is a type of test in automotive. And um, again, evergreen content was already in place. And we said, okay, salesperson, will you please just record this on a, on a go-to meeting? And let's just put it up with a form in front of it and uh, see how it does. And, um, you know, the first year it did pretty well. I think it got maybe a mm -hmm. hundred leads in, in the first year. In the second year, it, um, it performed two, maybe even three X that. And mm -hmm. then in the third year, it gained more and more and more momentum. And I think they had this piece five years later that generated, I think, 1500 leads a year, something like that. Wow. One piece wow. of content on something that was evergreen, that was already created. Isn't that yeah. amazing? And, and that's what I've been, it, 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 what I think is most impressive about this is a lot of times it seems like the content that is going to be most effective is already somewhere within yeah, the company, either in yeah. someone's brain, either in a presentation, you know, is there, this might be a good time to talk about repurposing as well too, because you mentioned this was already there. Are there other ways to, you know, turn that piece of content into five other pieces of content and get, you know, distribute that elsewhere to get more leads in other spots? Yeah, for sure. So if we stick with this um, application area of dynamometer mm -hmm. test, imagine now taking a step back and saying, okay, um, the persona that we're targeting is a test engineer that's doing dynamometer tests. Well, what else is he testing? What are the pain points about this? Does he have aged material, aged equipment? Does he have a bad software interface? Like what, what is he facing? And so imagine addressing all of those pain points, not only in this introduction to the basics of dynamometer, but a meaty white paper that goes into mm -hmm. way more depth about how to related to the subject. And then once we, we like starting with that meaty piece, because once that's mm -hmm. done, that piece itself can spin out into two or three blog posts. It can spin yes. out into 10 social posts. It can spin out into an e-newsletter article. Um, and, and, you know, I already mentioned, you know, this, this webinar, you know, that could spin out to an on-demand video. 
So all of that from one source of topic um, mm -hmm. can go all sorts of places. And cool. again, with each um, derivative piece of content all linked back together, it helps you with Google. Well, I'm going to speak to the audience here really quickly. If there's one takeaway I'm hearing from this, Wendy, it's start, like you just said, with that big piece of content. Because once you have that, you have so many more possibilities that you can just pull and repurpose from that. Perfect. And I would say if, if you start there, make sure you're really thoughtful about who it's targeting, you know, what should go within that piece. And then there's a subject matter expert that is really technical paired with a talented writer. And they're the, the dream team that put together mm. that piece. Is that is that the right combination, making sure you have someone that has that, you know, writing, journalism, marketing mindset mixed with that domain expert is that is that how you've seen things work the best is there a committee approach what what's the right way there yeah you know it's important for the writer to understand the context in which this piece is being placed right mm -hmm. so how does it fit within your campaigns what are repurposing um, ideas for it how are we optimizing um, what other pieces are there so imagine there's this this i guess whole ecosystem of, of things that this piece connects to. So that's for the writer to worry about and work with mm -hmm. marketing with. The subject mm -hmm. matter expert is coming in and they're the experts at the subject, but they don't do marketing all day. They don't even understand probably half of, nor do they need to, half of what we're doing here with content marketing. So they're coming in wearing that hat and then it's the writer's job to extrapolate not only the right level of technical detail, but what is the story? How are we serving this persona? How are we addressing these pain points? And so, and sometimes these subject matter experts want to promote that solution too much or be too technical without having that balance with um, connecting with the pain points of that potential buyer. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that was uh, balance was kind of the word I was thinking of too. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure you create something that, you know, gets the technical detail out there, but does it in an approachable fashion. Um, and funny enough, that's one of the, uh, the, I shouldn't say funny enough, I was planning on this segue a little bit, but at, on Manufacturing Happy Hour, we try to make manufacturing current, cool, and approachable. And I think we've covered a couple of those pretty thoroughly so far in terms of, you know, looking for pain points, looking for things that are current, are relevant, not, you know, not only an industry trend, but also relevant to that particular persona's buying cycle. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about making it approachable, having that balance. But my question is, and this is really specific to technical content, how do you make it cool? How do you make it interesting? How have you <laughs> seen people do that before? Because when I think technical, I'm thinking I need to get the information, but, you know, surely there are tricks to mix in that uh, flashy side of marketing with it as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So a very basic one is utilizing diagrams and infographics and other imagery that support technical points. And you mm -hmm. can imagine, because you've probably seen these um, some sort of diagram that shows, you know, the, the middle layer and, you know, all the different application software and how things stack up or, and the hardware versions of that, of here's the chip and here's the board. And, um, and so technical, uh, material really lends itself well to visual. Um, but that designer, and again, the writer need to understand enough to be able to create that. And I think that is sometimes where there can be a challenge if um, someone is put in a place of creating that that doesn't work in a technical space, they can really mm -hmm. struggle. 
So that's one example. And, and then I think another one is we're seeing a, a pretty big generational shift happening, right? With baby boomers retiring, millennials are, are such a big group and they're coming into specifier and decision maker positions. Mm-hmm. And um, all of our data shows that millennials are more likely to consume video. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. at least three hours per week for work, if not more. Oh, wow. And that's way different than their older counterparts. And so there's a clear trend towards video and towards podcasting that is important for companies to keep in mind. So again, another way to repurpose is take that same topic and then bring it into those form factors. What role does storytelling play in all of this? Because I'm thinking videos that get the technical facts out. I'm thinking of podcasts. I'm thinking of infographics that get the info there, but is there a way to add a storytelling element to this? Yeah, absolutely. And it starts with your corporate story. And so Mm. really understanding who you are as a business, what you stand for, what your value proposition is, you know, um, working on that positioning first. And, um, and when we go through that process, we do the positioning statement and I'm sure you've, you've seen those and, and most people are familiar with that, but then you, you, come up with pillars of differentiation. So points that you're uniquely different and you bring value to the buyer. And it's those things that need to be repeated throughout the company, throughout every piece of content. So that's part of your story. And so when you're talking about a new solution that you're launching, you still need to tie it back to how it fits in with your corporate story and how it connects with your buyer's pain points. And so those are the elements of storytelling that you can inject when you're launching that next cool technical thing. Love that. Bringing in the corporate story, having, and a lot of that comes back to having knowledge of the brand, how you help your customers, really that self-awareness element to being with a company. You know, you've given us a ton of great actionable info across this episode today, Wendy. Is there a way we can kind of put a bow around it? Can you walk us through the steps? Um, And some of this might be reiteration from before, but some of those first steps companies should take to really start capitalizing on good technical content that starts driving demand, bringing people into the funnel, et cetera? Sure. So the first place to start is knowing what personas, uh, who, which personas you're targeting and defining who those people are. Um, you know, and that goes down to how old are they? What position do they serve? What are their business pain points? And then working on your corporate story. So your positioning statement, your corporate pitch, you know, your elevator pitch, so to speak, and your um, your different pillars of differentiation. And then from there, you can start planning content because until you know those two things, it's really tough to go downstream and just start writing because like we've talked about, it's all connected. So, yeah. So during content planning, now you're mapping out, okay, what are those different areas of the business where we want to focus if it's dynamometers or, you know, if it's valves or whatever it is, um, you know, find those, those places where you're focusing, identify the topics that you want to write about what content exists that could be repurposed and what content you need to create. And then you'll get to writing And then you'll need to figure out, you know, how to publish that content and how to promote it. So, of course, that gets into a whole nother podcast about your website and and, uh, all sorts of, of inbound and outbound activities. 
Absolutely. A lot we could go into on this topic. I have a feeling we'll uh, we'll need a bonus episode at some point to cover more of this. All you know, right, you I'll have, do it. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. You know, you have some big things on the horizon as well with true marketing and content marketing engineered. Um, I'd love it if you could tell us about some of that new digital training that you've come out with as well, just so people know a little bit more about your business and how to find you as well. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. So, um, so I recently published a book called Content Marketing Engineered, and um, and and one of the reasons I did so was to help people have a guide of what are all the steps to putting together um, a successful content marketing campaign, and has a lot of advice on writing. And it was tough because w- with a book, you you can only spend so much time on each chapter. And so we really felt like we wanted to go deeper as creating content for technical audiences on a consistent cadence is the number one pain point in our industry. We know this and we want to help and we can't serve everyone with true marketing and full, you know, our full services that we offer. And so we created a self-paced training called Content Writing Engineered. And it's mm. seven hours of training. So this is very in-depth, meaty. It's a great training for someone who's responsible for creating this content, whether that be a marketer or a technical marketing person that wants advice on what is a process to follow, how do we create really good quality content. Um, it has even common grammar and editing, you know, the editing advice and common grammar mistakes that people make. Mm-hmm. Um, just like how I said that last sentence was not kind of wonky. Yeah. <laughs> it's a podcast. <laughs> to, it's all good. <laughs> I need to reread that. Um, and so, yeah, so that's what the training is. And um, we're very excited about it. We feel like it, it fits in, um, addresses a big need in our industry. Absolutely. Well, I know I, for one, have been jumping on Coursera and doing more of the digital trainings during some of the the downtime I've had recently. Content writing engineered for anyone that's looking to up their content game. I will have a link to that in the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com. In the meantime, Wendy, is there anything you wish I would have asked you that I haven't yet? Oh, gosh, good question. I mean, I feel like we could talk all day. Um, I think... One thing to part with, since we talked a lot about writing and subject matter experts in this collaboration, is um, perhaps how to motivate these engineers that were not hired to help marketing. They're not Mm. always excited about writing marketing content. Let's be honest, they're excited about R&D or whatever it is that they're tasked with doing. And so um, it's important that they hear the impact uh, that their content is made. And so how can you turn that subject matter expert into a hero? So once that white paper's done, following up, showing them the results, whether it's, you know, quantitative or qualitative, you know, so you can show how many people have downloaded it or look at these two new sales that were a direct result of somebody reading this. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not often sometimes in some of those R&D positions that those and those guys feel as connected to the sales side of the business, the revenue generation side. And we found that that works very well. Awesome tip to end on. This has been a great conversation. Good talking to you again. Always a, a pleasure to have these discussions. And in the meantime, thank you so much for being on the show. I was glad to be here. Thank you. Cheers, everyone. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty.
Hey, thank you for listening. To access any of the resources we mentioned in today's episode, you can find those on the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 25. This includes a link to the course, True Marketing's website, Wendy's, LinkedIn, and even some of the Austin, Texas breweries we were throwing out at the start of the interview. Also, I wasn't kidding. We actually have a bonus episode with Wendy coming up right after this, where we talk about more of the tactics behind marketing. This includes where and what to publish, as well as how and where to promote your content. That's coming right up after this episode. If you liked what you heard today, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review for Manufacturing Happy Hour over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes, where leaving a five-star rating and review is super easy. Just hit that five-star button and a review that can be as short as one or two sentences. Hope to see you over there. It really helps the show out when we get those good ratings and reviews for our content. Finally, one more thank you to our sponsor today, Audible. Audible is the world's largest library for audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. It's where I'm typically listening to all of my business books. And since you are a listener of this show, I do have a discount code for you. Or actually, I should say a code to get you a free trial. Just go to audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod to check it out risk-free for yourself. Thanks a bunch, Audible. And with that, we will be back with our bonus episode with Wendy very, very soon. In the meantime, stay innovative, stay thirsty, and we'll catch you back here for that right away. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.